Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. The fellowship or peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. And then each one of those is defined in great detail. Um, and and uh, the, what's used in each one and, and what their purpose is. And so I guess I won't go over all of those again because we're going to end up going over them tonight anyway, probably. So the first um, five chapters of Leviticus talk about all of these in great detail. And they talk about what's involved in each offering and the way the offering is done and why it's done. Okay. And then you get to chapter 6 and um, at the end of the first few verses, at chapter 6 verse 8 is kind of where we left off uh, last week. Chapter 6 verse 8 and it starts off and it says the burnt offering. And I remember when I read that, I thought, well, now why are we going back to the burnt offering? Because we just looked at the burnt offering in chapter 1. Um, if you go back to chapter 1, it starts talking about the burnt offering. But if you read it carefully, what you find out is this burnt offering is about the, uh, this, this is a viewpoint from the priest. Okay? So let's read this. I'll read this. We did it last week, but I'll read it and we can talk about that. I conveniently left my glasses so I can't see very well, but if I, I could probably do this. Um, Yahweh said to Moses, this is chapter 6, verse 8. Yahweh said to Moses, give Aaron and his sons this command. These are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar hearth throughout the night till morning. The fire must be kept burning on the altar. The priest shall put on his linen clothes with linen undergarments next to his body and shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he is to take off these clothes and put on others and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offering on it. And the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. So um, the key to this is that in verse 8, it starts off and it says, Yahweh, the Lord said to Moses. And if you go back into verse 1 of Leviticus, it says, The Lord called Moses and he spoke to him from the tent of meeting and he said, Speak to the Israelites and say to them. So chapters 1 through most of chapter 5, all of chapter 5, was God's instructions to the Israelites. Those are, you know, the normal folk. And then starting here in verse 9 of chapter 6, he says, Yahweh said to Moses, give Aaron and his sons this command. So now then, he's moved from talking to all the Israelites and telling them about these uh, offerings, and now he's going to tell the priests about the offerings. And so it looks a little bit different. 
the offering is, uh, it tells him what the priests are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to make sure the fire keeps burning. They're supposed to change clothes before they take the ashes out and things like that. We talked about some of this last week. So that's, that's kind of where we are. Are there any, um, any comments about that? Is everybody clear? Clear as mud here? Okay, so to begin then, why don't we start in verse 14, and we'll see, see what we can discover here. Would somebody, let's see, we've got to get a microphone person. We'll get to, well, uh, from our, oh, there's a microphone person right there. Okay, good. He's got the microphone and everything. Uh, would somebody like to read from verse 14 through verse 23? If somebody wants to read that, they can raise their hand and you'll be an instant celebrity. Mike's got the mic. I don't think I want to be a celebrity. <laughs> you don't have to be. The, the, instant, the instant celebrity is an option. <laughs> and this is the Torah of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall bring it near before Yahweh in front of the slaughter place and shall take from it with his hand from the fine flour of the grain offering, and from its oil and all the frankincense which is on the grain offering, and shall burn it on the slaughter place for a sweet fragrance as its remembrance portion to Yahweh. Then Aaron and his sons eat the rest of it. It is eaten with unleavened bread in the set-apart place. They eat it in the courtyard of the tent of appointment, it is not baked with leaven. I have given it to them as their portion for my offering made by fire. It is most set apart like the sin offering and the guilt offering. All the males among the children of Aaron eat it. A law forever in your generations concerning the offerings made by fire to Yahweh. All that touches them is to be set apart. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe saying, This is the offering of Aaron and his sons which they bring near to Yahweh, bringing, uh, beginning on the day when he is anointed. One-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a daily grain offering, half of it in the morning, half of it in the evening. It is made on a griddle with oil, bring it in mixed, bring the baked portions of the grain offering near, a sweet fragrance to Yahweh. And the anointed priest shall, uh, the anointed priest from among his sons who is in his place prepares it. A law forever to Yahweh, all of it has to be burned. And every grain offering for the priest is completely burned, and it is not eaten. Okay. Um, so let's see. Like, like I say, we're back, just to review, we're back in this section now talking about the priests. This is what the priests are doing. Um, the regulations for the grain offering... Uh, take a handful of fine flour together with all the incense. That's called the memorial portion. And that's what they burn on the altar. And then the, the remainder, uh, what happens to the remainder? It was given to the priests. It says in verse 18, any male descendant of Aaron may eat it. It is his regular share of the offerings made to the Lord by fire for the generations to come. Okay? So um, uh, the priest is to eat the remaining part of the grain offering that's not burnt. So that's, you'll find that a lot of what we're going to talk about in these next few chapters have got to do with what, 
what portion is given to the priest. Yeah. So how much is burnt and how much do they get to eat? Well, this is a little bit confusing, but I've, I think I figured it out. The, the, the grain offering can be fine flour uh, or it can be cooked in various different ways. Um, if it's just fine flour, then um, there's three fingers and a thumbful is, is the traditional, from what I've been told, the traditional memorial offering. That's God's part. That, along with a share of the, um, what was the other thing? All of the incense and then that, that middle thing, which I'll get in a minute. Oil. The share of the oil, a little, you know, the three fingers full of flour, and all of the incense is burned on the altar. The rest belongs to the priest. Now it says he shall eat it, but um, eating flour doesn't really do much, so I think they bake it. Uh, they well, griddle, they make them pancakes, essentially, is what I've kind of deduced from this. And so they bake them, if you will, somehow. They cook them, fry them, and that's uh, the priests eat them right there. So the offering is consumed and shared, if you will. God gets his portion, and the priests get their portion. Yes? So it sounds like a small amount that's going to God. Is that, or is it all relevant, on, dependent on? I think it's, it's all symbolic anyway, in that it's, it's not necessarily intended to be a small amount. Um, well, I don't mean it like that. I'm, I mean it more like, is this one of the main sustenance for the for the priest the priests end up getting sort of... yeah well they end up getting uh yes they end up getting all of the grain offerings they get their part and they don't not all of them have to be eaten the burnt offering does but not all of them have to be so they can be stored and kept if yeah, yeah that's how they do it and 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 these grain offerings like you say are symbolic of god's provision of food if you will of sustenance so, okay, the tricky part is verse 19 to 23, because you gotta, you got to really read these things carefully. Verse 19 says, Yahweh also said to Moses, this is the offering Aaron and his sons are to bring to Yahweh on the day that he is anointed. Okay, so this one's a little different. This one happens only on ordination day, okay? And so this one is not the grain offering of somebody else. It's the grain offering of the priests. This is, so this is uh, Aaron and his family making this offering. And it's, it's, it's a similar kind of a thing. Although a tenth of an ephah of fine flour is a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning, half of it in the evening. Prepare it with oil on a griddle and bring it well mixed and present the grain offering broken in pieces as an aroma pleasing to Yahweh. The son who is to succeed him, who would that be? It would be one of Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, or Ithamar. Um, is a, the, to succeed him as anointed priest shall prepare it. It is the Lord's regular share and is to be burned completely. Every grain offering of a priest shall be burned completely. It must not be eaten. So why that's right there, I'm not sure. But... There, this is basically two cases. It's the grain offering for everybody else and then the grain offering that the priest himself is giving. John. So this is a very infrequent, infrequent this event. This one is, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Maybe every and 40 it, years or something. Yep, 
Yeah, yeah. It only happens, yeah, every, well, I guess. 30, maybe. Yeah, well, it's whenever there's a new priest, right? Um, Early retirement at 50, don't they? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. believe that's right. This is, uh, this is kind of a teaser for what's coming because we, uh, we're going to talk all about this ordination ceremony here in a, a chapter or two. So are there any questions about that, what's going on here? It's not terribly interesting, but there it is. I mean, every now and then it helps to stand back, and we'll do that in a few minutes, stand back and kind of look at all of these together and ask ourselves, so what's going on here? What's, what's the purpose of this? So let's move on. So we've got the burnt offering and the, the grain offering. So the next one that's listed here is the sin offering. And it's from verse 24 to the end of chapter 6. Does somebody want to read from verse 24 to the end of chapter 6? Leviticus um, 6, 24. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his son, saying, This is the law of sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before Yahweh. It is most holy. The priest that offereth it for sin shall eat it. In the holy place shall it be eaten. In the court of the meeting tent of the congregation. Whatsoever shall touch the flesh thereof shall be holy. And where there is sprinkled of the blood thereof upon any garment, thou shalt wash that whereon it was sprinkled in the holy place. But the earthen vessel wherein it is boiled shall be broken. And if it is boiled in a brazen pot, it shall, both, it sh it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests shall eat thereof. It is most holy. And no sin offering whereof any of the blood is brought unto the tabernacle of the congregation to reconcile with all in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned in the fire. Okay. So interesting things going on here. The, uh, the, notice again, these are instructions given to the priests. And one of the, we got into a discussion here last week, I think it was, about does the offerer have to actually do the, uh, the dispatching of the animal and all of that? And this would imply no, because it says uh, uh, in verse 26, it says, the priest who offers it shall eat it. Now that's, first of all, notice that the sin offering, uh, we know from the previous few chapters what parts of the animal are burnt on the... Uh, on the fire, and what parts aren't, if you will, the, that's the fat and the lobe of the liver and all this kind of stuff that get burnt on the fire, but it says the priest shall eat of it. So it's the other parts that the priest eats. So the priest eats the sin offering, that's what it says, and he also does the offering. The priest who offers it shall eat it. It is to be eaten in a holy place in the courtyard of the tent of meeting. Whatever touches any of the flesh will become holy. And if any blood is spattered on the garment, you've got to wash it. Then it talks about getting rid of the clay pot if it's been cooked in a clay vessel and washing thoroughly the bronze or brass pot. Any male in the priest's family may eat it. It is most holy. But any sin offering whose blood is brought into the tent of meeting must make atonement in the holy place. It must not be eaten. 
Okay, so yes, we have some good. Yeah, I've got a question. Who's this sin offering for? Is it for the priest? Nope, nope. The sin offering for the priest will be done at the ordination. This is a sin offering for somebody. Some, some general Israelite has to have a sin offering, you know. And so uh, that's, I think it's that person's. It's not the priest's. It's not the first one we, we went over, the burnt offering. No, it's not the first one. The burnt offering is totally consumed. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So this is, this is not, um, you have to kind of, I mean, I'm making some of this stuff up as I go. I shouldn't say that. I'm, I'm still in the process of understanding it. So this is consistent with what we read in the earlier chapter about the sin offering. The sin offering, you know, is the first one that's done. So this sin offering is done on behalf of the, of the offerer. Uh, and, and I believe that it's the priest that actually does the, the slicing of the throat and the preparing of the offering and then putting it up on the fire. But it says there that um, the priest and his family can share the meat. But it goes on to say that uh, you know, it has to be eaten that day. That's a little strange, but a lot of this has to do with the focus here is to teach the difference between the holy and the profane, between the clean and the unclean. And so it's important that that offering, when it's, when it's offered, it becomes holy. It becomes God's. And you've got to treat it in the way that he, he describes. Um, we'll find out later that, you know, if, if you just want to go kill a, a calf and have a barbecue, you don't need to mess with any of this. But if this is being done for, uh, for the purposes of, of God, then you have, to, you have to do it the way he says to. Yeah. So it's really interesting because um, it's really the Holy Spirit that helps us to connect with it, right? Yep. So in the past, it, it's been flat for me. So now when you're saying that, and actually right before you said it, the concept about it being holy, and right before that I was thinking about um, how pagan worship is similar, yep. right? And the indulgences that the priests was, were asking for, similar. But what I could hear all of a sudden when, I don't know, in this discussion was the holiness of it. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that sanctification that is clearly different that we can, no one can see without the Holy Spirit. Yep. No one can see what he was doing without the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's the dilemma, right? When we're sharing with people, it's difficult for anyone to see unless he reveals. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's a fact. Um, and of course, the thing is, is it's, um, uh, culture has changed so much. You know, this is such an unusual thing for us that it's difficult, it, for me anyway, it's real difficult to wrap my mind around it. But one of the things that helps me is, is this, my firm belief that you know, this is what God requires. And it's not, when we examine it really closely, it's not, number one, too difficult, or number two, the least bit inhumane, even though it kind of looks that way. There's a lot of things about this that are, uh, it, they're, they're what God prescribes. And so I, I, I feel like it's my responsibility, this is me personally, to come to grips with it somehow. But it's very difficult because, like I say, it's much different than the kind of culture that we live in now, with everything plastic wrapped in a grocery store shelf. John, then Joni still has some. So the, the, I think we talked about this last week, maybe. Uh, to reconcile? Yes. 
the Hebrew is lechaper, which is kapur or okay. Atonement. Atone right. is there to so cover. That, that's the cover more common, and atone. Yep. More common translation. Yep. And then we've we've talked about that. I think you know the fact that what God allows us to do is to transfer our sins to the animal, so that the animal pays for our sins. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I can get it back because it was, but the idea, like you made that comment about it's so different from our culture, and just how far our culture has has gone away from what we're supposed to understand. Yeah. And then the prayers are how are we to minister to the rest of the body of believers to get to this place, right? You yeah. know, so because our culture is so far. So, I mean, especially we need to pray for that because yeah. it it's well, there's big problems within obviously reason why we're here big problems within the rest of the what we're being taught in the church um the transition for them you know and how we're to transition them when we're talking about things like this and there's and paganism and you know all the things of interference intentional interference has yep. occurred mm -hmm. well you're exactly right and um lots of things come out of that one of the things that comes out of that for me is how unbelievably patient God is mm -hmm. and how, how willing he is to put up with, uh, in some sense, our ignorance, in other sense, our foolishness, mm -hmm. you know? Um, sometimes I look back at the way I used to be, you know, and, and I realize that well, it was arrogant. I was being arrogant toward God. Oh, he won't mind if I do it this way. You know, he won't mind if I trade Christmas for this or something like that. Well, who's to say that? I mean, you know, it's got a lot to do with who God is in your mind, if you will. And, and he's, like I say, he's unbelievably tolerant of that. But on the other hand, once you know, you've got to act like it. <laughs> you've got to recognize it. You've got to, you know, make it change you. And it does. Those are good, good comments, though. Yeah. Let's move on, unless there's some other things. Chapter 7, we move into the guilt offering. Now, you remember the main difference between the guilt offering and the sin offering was the guilt offering included restitution. The guilt offering had something that the offerer had to give or pay in addition to the animal itself uh, because the sin was something, typically, it was against another person. You know, you'd... Uh, I don't know. He left his uh, sheep with you while he went away on a vacation, and when he came back, it was dead. <laughs> Something like that. The, we'll learn a lot of those. We'll read a lot of examples like that. But anyway, so that's the difference between the guilt offering and the sin offering. But let's, let's read about what it says here and see if we can figure that out. Would anybody like to read? It's not very long. From the beginning of chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 1, down through verse 10, the first 10 verses. You want me to read? Sure. You can read out of that antiquity of you that you like. Seven, chapter 7, verse 1. Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, shall they kill the trespass offering, and the blood thereof shall he sprinkle round about upon the altar. And he shall offer of it at the fat thereof the rump and the fat that covereth the innards, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, which, 
which is by the flanks, and the call that is above the liver with the kidneys. It shall, it shall he take away, and the priest shall burnt them upon the altar for an offering made by fire unto Yahweh is a trespass offering. Every male among the priests shall eat thereof. It shall be eaten in the holy place. It is most holy. Verse 7. As the sin offering is, so is the trespass offering. There is one law for them. The priest that maketh atonement therewith shall have it. And the priest that offereth any man's burnt offering, even the priest shall have to, to himself the skin of the burnt offering which he hath offered. And all the meat offering that is baked in the oven and all that is dressed in the frying pan in, uh, and in the pan shall be the priest that offereth it. And every meat offering mingled with oil and dry shall all the sons of Aaron have one as much as another. Okay. So, number one, it doesn't point out a lot of the differences between the sin offering and the guilt offering. It says they're, they're essentially done the same way. But the question is, other than the things that are burnt on the altar, who gets the, who gets the meat? Uh, the priest that... The priest that offering it. Right. Aaron and his sons, basically. It says... Uh, the priest who offers the burnt offering for anyone may keep its hide for himself. Every grain baked up. Well, the, the priest that offers it gets the hide, but the, all the priests can get the meat and, the, and the, the grain offering part of it. It says, belongs equally to all of Aaron and his sons. All Aaron and his sons. So I think someone asked, so uh, part of this is, this is, this is the way the priests got their livelihood, or at least some of it, because they, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't grow crops and do the things that the regular Israelites did. Their job was full-time managing, doing the tasks associated with the tabernacle. So this was the, I don't know if you'd say primary, it was a source of food for them. John? So this is the Korban Asham you have there in the last... Yep. So, uh, that, yeah, Korban Asham. And it's, it looks a lot to me like the Korban Ka'atat, I think it is, or Ka'at. I don't know how to pronounce it. But those are, the, those are the two offerings that we're talking about here, the sin offering and the guilt offering. So you're ashamed if you have to bring this kind of offering? <laughs> or? Very good, John. I'm just looking for English words. Yeah, I see. Yeah. It got ripped off. It looks like here in verse 6, only the male among the priests shall eat thereof, it says. Yeah, you know, I have a little yeah, question about that. I guess How the, come families, the families don't get to partake in this. It's just the, the male priest. Let's see. Six. Yeah, I, I was reading that. I was looking for some note here because I remember, some, I remember reading something about why. Oh, yeah, it says, why could only the male descendants eat the grain offering? So, let's see, this would imply... Or, can't read. This was simply another way of saying that only the priests could eat the offering. It was not to be used for, as some offerings were, as a sustenance for the priests' families. Only Aaron's male descendants were designated as priests. Okay, there are other offerings that are made that can be shared with their families. These are for the priests. These are to be shared only with the priests. It's not that the women and the uh, daughters are to go hungry. 
because this is not their only source of food. But these offerings are special, and it's got to do with the holiness. It's got to do with the fact that these offerings are holy. Um, not that they all aren't, but these particular ones, you know, these are the ones that God is accepting on behalf of the offerer for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the fellowship offering is different, right? What's the fellowship offering for? We're going to read about it in a minute, but maybe you can anticipate. What's the fellowship offering? What's different about that one? Well, it's, yeah, but it's more of a, yeah, but it's also more of a, uh, a happy time. It's more of a celebration. It's more of a, a, now that we're through paying for the sins, and now that I've recommitted myself to you by virtue of the burnt offering, let's, uh, let's have a meal together. Let's have a barbecue. So that's, that's why the fellowship offering is different. John. So the, the, the one who gets the mail, which in the Hebrew is a car. Okay. And it's, uh, there's another strong numbers which pronounced the same way, which uh, is translated like remember. Mm-hmm. Like the seed kind of thing is what I understand it to be anyway. So I, maybe it's a legal, I'm just always thinking it from a legal point of view that they're memorializing the resolution of this because this is against somebody. Some, is this sin against another person? It, the guilt offering, sir. Trespass is. offering. Yeah, yeah. That's how the King James says. Trespass. That's fine. So they're they're memorializing the the adjudication of this process. That's a good way to look at it. I'm just throwing that out there because yeah, yeah, that's how the mail like, gets. It's a, the equivalent of the judge pounding the gavel, right? Yeah. This is, I render my judgment. Whack. Okay. Did you have something, Mark? Or no? Okay. Um, okay. I guess that's all. Like I say, I would like for you to remind me, and let's keep trying to understand this. Let's say I have a scripture link. Uh, we talk about this a lot. Ezekiel 44, 23, it says, um, they, the priests, are to teach my people the difference between the holy and the common and to show them how to distinguish between the clean and the unclean. Okay? So that's, that's what the priests are supposed to do, and that's what this is. This has got to do with teaching the difference between the holy and the uh, common and between the clean and the unclean. So I think the thing that's hitting me right now is that from what I said earlier and what you're saying, it's become so important that when we fellowship, that we actually pray in advance for that humility to hear. Mm -hmm. Because as I'm listening, it's like, that's, that's the whole thing. Like, I've read these things before, right? In the Holy Spirit. But there, there needs to be some sort of, at that moment, humility. Mm -hmm to actually receive or to understand or to be spoken to. And so, uh, again, when we're praying for those who are not looking even this direction, the big, and there was something today from First um, John just saying that if there's sins that do not lead to death, that we're supposed to ask you, uh, mm -hmm. right, on their behalf for them, I guess it's incomplete, the sentence is incomplete, so just to fill it in would be obviously to ask that they could see or that they come into that place of humility that they'll, that they'll be able to receive, but then therefore what responsibility do each one of us have 
who go before, right? Mm -hmm. Who are forerunners before mm -hmm. then of that humility in that area mm -hmm. for that's, them. That's good. You know, one of the things that I often think about is I think that we're always, I mean, you guys are a typical example. We're here moving forward. We're here looking out ahead. We're looking, what can we do better? What, what new truths, I don't want to call them that, but what deeper <laughs> truths can we find? What, what things can we do to improve our relationship? But we shouldn't lose track of the people behind us because all of those people, we were once there, right? And those people need help. They certainly need prayer, but they also need to see that where they're going is a better place, you know? And the only way to really see that is to see it in us. So... That's one of the reasons I like our community is because certainly we're not perfect and we're always pretty good to admit that. But, you know, we're pretty accepting, I think. So we should continue to do that and be that way toward those people behind us. That's what I'll call them, even though that may be kind of a, they're just not quite there yet. Yeah. Okay, want to go, let's read about the fellowship offering. That's from verse 11 through... Verse 19. Pat will read that. John, I got John doing, he's, he's running the microphone, he's making comments, and he's also talking to all the people online. <laughs> now it's gonna... <laughs> These are the regulations for the fellowship offering anyone may present to the Lord. If they offer it as an expression of thankfulness, then along with this thank offering, hmm, sorry. That's okay. Here it is. Keeps changing on me, I don't know. So you need one of these old-fashioned books. Yeah, I guess so, but then it's King James. <laughs> okay. Is yours King James? Mm. Okay. <laughs> if he brings it for a thanksgiving, then he shall bring with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and thin unleavened wafers with oil, and thin unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and of a well-mixed flour, cakes mixed with oil. He shall bring this offering with the cakes of leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, his peace offering. And he shall bring out of it one of every offering, a heave offering to Yahweh. To the priest sprinkle the blood of the peace offering. It is his. As to the flesh of the sacrifice of the thanksgiving peace offering, it shall be eaten in the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until morning. Okay, why don't I, I told you to read further, but why don't you stop for a minute and let's talk about that. Okay. I, I got kind of a kick out of this because as you read through there, it talks okay. about... Um, First of all, this is an expression of thankfulness. Um, he said, offer cakes made without yeast. And then down there a little while later, he's got some uh, wafers and some, you know, different fry bread kind of stuff. And then along with his fellowship offering of thanksgiving, he is to present uh, an offering of cakes of bread made with yeast. Well, you know, I couldn't help but immediately think of the, the hamburger buns. Okay, those are the hamburger buns I decided. He is to bring one of each kind of, as an offering, a contribution to Yahweh. It belongs to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the fellowship offerings. The meat of his fellowship offering of thanksgiving must be eaten that day it is offered. It must, okay, so 
I don't know. The thing is, is this is a different type of offering, you know. Now, the unleavened bread is the grain offering, and the grain offering accompanied the burnt offering and the two, you know, the, the sin and the guilt offering. It didn't accompany necessarily the uh, fellowship offering. So it's okay to have, un or to have leavened bread at a barbecue, I guess is what I'm trying to say. At least that's my interpretation. John. So I'm just curious on your table. Obviously, it's not the last one. Have we already discussed this then? Mm -hmm. Fellowship offering? Well, no, we haven't yet. This is, it, they didn't the go in that order. In, the table isn't in the, chronological order? This is the order in which they were presented in the first parts, okay. the first few chapters. But here in, uh, in this second portion, for whatever you want, chapter 6 and 7, the it's order. presented with the fellowship offering last. Okay. Just for whatever. Now, you've got to go give that. Well, Margaret has something, and then we've got to give it back to Pat because I cheated her. So, no keto diets here. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no keto diet. Okay, so now you can go on and read from 16 on if you'd like. And if this... I'm sorry. Go ahead. 16 to where? To, the, uh, to 21 through Thank 21. You. And if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or free will offering in the day he brings his sacrifice near, it shall be eaten, and on the morrow the rest of it shall also be eaten. And the rest of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is at all eaten on the third day, it is not pleasing. It shall not be reckoned for him who has brought it. It shall be a hateful thing, and the person who eats it shall bear his iniquity, and the flesh which touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. As to the flesh, every clean one shall eat of the flesh, and the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offerings which belong to Yahweh, when his uncleanness is upon him, even that person shall be cut off from his people. And when a person touches any unclean thing of the uncleanness of man or the uncleanness of animals or of an unclean abominable creature shall eat of the flesh and of the sacrifice of the peace offerings which belong to Yahweh, even that person shall be cut off from his people. Okay. Now let's go back and, and uh, start at where she started in verse 16. The verse 12 I'm sorry, verse 11 says, uh, verse 12 says, if he, offers, if he offers it as an expression of thankfulness, in other words, if it's a thanksgiving offering, blah, blah, blah. And then down in uh, verse 16 it says, if, however, his offering is a result of a vow or is a free will offering. Okay, so um, do you remember the story of Paul and how Paul went back to Jerusalem and they were giving him, they were warning him, saying that a lot of people have, have been uh, uh, saying that you're teaching that you don't need to do the Torah. And in order to show them that this is not what you're teaching, you should take these, you know, these, there's these guys that have uh, made this uh, Nazarite vow, and they're, they're done with it, and they need to go make the required offering. You should buy their offering and go join them in that. And this is what that is. This, this is that offering. It's the, it's, and, and they're making the offering 
as a, it's, it's kind of a thanksgiving offering, but it's a, a result of a vow that they made. They've, they've completed the vow, and they're, they're kind of, you know, having a, a little hoo-ha because they've completed the vow. So I just think that's a neat tie-in to that story. Um, You're on verse 12 or 11? 16. The verse 16 says, if it's a result of a vow or his free will offering, it shall be eaten on the day he offers it, but anything left over, it goes on. Um, it um, not be accepted. Okay, let's move down to verse 19. Um, then it gets kind of, this last little part talks about this cleanliness, uncleanliness thing a little bit more. Meat that touches anything ceremonially unclean must not be eaten. It must be burned up. As for other meat, anyone ceremonially, un, any, anyone ceremonially clean may eat it. But if anyone who is unclean eats the, any meat of the fellowship offering belonging to Yahweh, that person must be cut off from his people. If anyone touches something unclean, whether human uncleanness or an unclean animal or any unclean detestable thing, and then eats of the meat of the fellowship offering belonging to Yahweh, that person must be cut off from his people. So this is, again, a reinforcement of this clean, unclean thing. John. I, I love this, uh, <clears throat> the name for the word in verse 18. Mm -hmm. it, imputed unto him that offereth it, offereth it, it shall be an abomination. <laughs> yep. The Hebrew word is pigul. Pig, pigul? Uh-huh. <laughs> a pig is an abomination. Yeah, okay. What do you think about this uh, cut off from his people thing? I've always struggled a little bit with that. Sounds like excommunication. It me. sounds like excommunication. The, the, I think the, the ancient Hebrews had a, a word excise or something like that. Let's see if I can find it. What verse was that? Well, there's, it's several times in there. Um, 20? 20 and 21 both use it. What yeah. is it? It says... But the, the, Venikreta? Mine says, the phrase refers to a direct judgment from God, often death, rather than human punishment. I was wondering, do they just kind of send him away? He just wanders off? Yeah. Kind of like Cain, huh? Yeah, but I guess... Banished. I... I think that's true, but I, I wonder about the ability to come back because I don't, somehow or another, it doesn't strike me as um, the way God would do it to say, okay, you're cut off, you know, don't, don't ever darken my doorway again. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I struggle with that. That's just where I'm at on that. Because uh, this difference between clean and unclean, to me, Again, I'm, I can't help but look at it from my own personal perspective of where I live now. It's, man, it's hard. I don't get it. You know, I have a hard time. I mean, he's going to tell us pretty, pretty clearly throughout the rest of Leviticus what's clean and what's unclean. But sometimes you don't know. Well, there are examples when some, you know, when you do something that makes you unclean and you don't even know you did it. So, John. This is interesting, this cut off. It's uh, Strong's number H. 3772 karat okay. is the kind of the root word. And it's in this case it's being cut off away 
but it's used in uh, Genesis 15, the, the covenant of the pieces, where Yahweh made or karat a Brit with Abraham. Cut Abraham. a Brit. So, so he cut a contract to come together, but it's in this case, it's cutting to cut off, too. Yeah. So it's kind of, What's there's this? cutting, coming, and going, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> okay. It seems like the, the sin is not in being unclean, it's, it's partaking. Yes. And, uh, yes. It's mixing you, the uncleanness with the cleanness. Yeah. The offering yeah. is clean, and when you are unclean and you come with it, that's the thing that God says, oh, meh, tilt. Well, we'll, I'll work on that. You work on that. We'll see if we can come with some, a little more clarity as time moves on. Let, yeah. let me move on. Um, I'll read from verse 22 through 27, uh, just because it kind of seems to be placed here, an unusually, unusual placement here. Verse 22 says, Yahweh said to Moses, say to the Israelites, so now he's talking back to the Israelites, do not eat any of the fat of cattle, sheep, or goats. The fat of an animal found dead or torn by wild, torn by wild animals may be used for other purposes, but you must not eat it. Anyone who eats the fat of an animal from which an offering by fire may be made to Yahweh must be cut off from his people. And wherever you live, you must not eat the blood of any bird or animal. If anyone eats blood, that person must be cut off from his people. So this little paragraph of, you know, let me make this perfectly clear is kind of what that paragraph is, you know, right? I think I got a kick out of it. Um, the fat of an animal found dead or torn may be used for any other purpose. So I guess you could use it, for example, to make soap with or to grease the axle bearings on your wooden wheels or stuff like that, but you can't eat it. Whatever you do, don't eat it. Any thoughts about that? Okay, so then to kind of finish up this whole thing about the, um, the priests and what the priests' responsibilities are, uh, verse 28 through the end of the chapter. Would somebody like to read from verse 28 to the end of the chapter? No one, no one coming, going, I'll going. I'll do it. I'll do it. You just have to struggle with me if I can't see it very well. Starting in verse 28, Yahweh said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, Anyone who brings a fellowship offering to Yahweh is to bring part of it as his sacrifice to Yahweh. With his own hands, he is to bring the offering made to Yahweh by fire. He is to bring the fat together with the breast and, and wave the breast before Yahweh as a wave offering. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast belongs to Aaron and his sons. You are to give the right thigh of your fellowship offerings to the priest as a contribution. The son of Aaron who offers the blood and the fat of the, of the fellowship offering shall have the right thigh as his share. 
From the fellowship offerings of the Israelites, I have taken the breast that is waved and the thigh that is presented and have given them to Aaron the priest and his sons as their regular share from the Israelites. This is the portion of the offerings made to Yahweh by fire that were allotted to Aaron and his sons on that day, on the day they were presented to serve Yahweh as priests. On the day they were anointed, Yahweh commanded that the Israelites give this to them as their regular share for the generations to come. These then are the regulations for the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the ordination offering, and the fellowship offering, which Yahweh gave Moses on Mount Sinai on the day he commanded the Israelites to bring their offering to Yahweh in the desert of Sinai. So that's kind of a concluding statement there. Chapter 7 concludes a little portion of it here. If I go back to our little picture. Yeah. Sorry. Um, chapter 1 through 7 there. It's called, it says, ritual sacrifices. So we've completed this first little portion. John? So <clears throat> this caught my eye. At 28, and then it goes into 30 that he shall bring the offering himself. Yep. Speaking of the children of saying, he that offereth the sacrifice of his peace offering unto Yahweh shall bring his oblation unto Yahweh. So it doesn't talk about a priest in here. I'm, is there, are there other well, examples of that? Uh, well, what's interesting, if you go to verse 30, his own hand shall bring, stand alone all of Tav, the offerings of Jehovah made by fire, the fat with the breast, it shall he, it shall he bring that standalone all of Tav. The breast may be uh, waved for the wave offering before Yahweh. So there's two standalone all of Tavs in this one verse. So it's, and it's yeah. interesting that it's, it's the man himself has, has to bring it. Yeah, I think, I think the man, the offerer himself, brings the offering to the priest. Well, okay, but I'm just, here it doesn't explicitly say that. And the offering is a peace offering. Yes. So, I, and I'm just thinking back to when uh, Yeshua says, you know, if you have, uh, if your brother has aught uh, with you, set down the, the offering. Okay, I got that. Set down the offering. Go deal with him. Yeah. Then go, then you can take the, pre, then you can take the offering to him. Okay. To, to God. So I don't know if he's talking, if he didn't say, well, take it to a priest and he'll do that for you. No, no, well. And I, 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 maybe I think, I'm reading into this. No, 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 I, this, well, but, I think it's, uh, I don't, I guess what I'm saying, I think the, the offerer is intimately involved with all of it. I don't think he just gives it to the priest and leaves. I mean, I think he's involved with the waving, right? right. So I, I don't think it's like hands off, but I do think that the priest is probably the one that actually puts it on the altar. I may be wrong. Well, I don't know. I'm, it, it's, it doesn't say that. It's I'm not, not clear. It's, I'm not, it's, it's not, not saying not it wouldn't be, that wouldn't be a reasonable conclusion to make, but mm -hmm. specifically here, it doesn't, it doesn't say that. No. And the offering is the peace offering. Yeah. And it's funny that we were just talking about the cut off. Well, who was cut off? The, 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 the house that, of Israel was cut off, yeah. given a bill of divorce. Yeah. You know, definitely not at peace with Yah. <laughs> Yep. The peace offering doesn't exist. You, you, if you go here now, you're trespassing. You're, yeah. you're, yeah. you're, you know, you're. Well, I think that's a lot of what God meant when He told him. He says, you know, you're, 
the smell of your offerings is a stench to me. So I'm wondering because there's two standalone olive tabs in this verse, and mm -hmm. it's talking about the offerer that's bringing the peace offering has to bring it by his own hands. Mm -hmm. We know that Yeshua is the, uh, the he's the peace offering. Mm -hmm. I mean, he came and brought peace. So, I mean, it literally is his own hands that's yes. bringing the offering. That's a good point. So, yeah, that's a good point. Well, the, the main thing that happens in this paragraph, aside from the fact that it's the end of this whole section, is it, it, it's very explicit about saying what portions of these offerings are given to the priests, right? And it's a fair amount. It's especially a fair amount of the fellowship offerings because the, the actual... See, the way I read that, John, the actual priest that does the offering or that performs the ceremony on behalf or with the help of the offerer gets this right thigh. What, what verse is that? Okay, let me find it. It says, let me start with verse 30. With his own hands, this is the offer, he is to bring the offering made to Yahweh by fire. He is to bring the fat together with the breast and wave the breast before Yahweh as a wave offering. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast belongs to Aaron and his sons. So okay. that would indicate that they're at least involved, for sure. Yeah, they're, absolutely. They're, they, right. Yeah. You are to give the right thigh of your fellowship offerings to the priest as a contribution. Okay, so I think what I got out of that was that um, the, the breast belongs to Aaron and his sons. It's the, all of them, the whole, all the priests. But the uh, fellowship, the, the right thigh belongs to the one that actually did the offering the one that it's like it's like paying the pastor at a wedding right yeah okay. it's not a valid contract unless you have exchange of yeah a value of property well, I, you know I, and maybe i'm reading into this because i want to whatever that's all right it doesn't really it's <laughs> no no okay. I, what i yeah. what does it say in, in hebrews it says the ironic priest it's it's you know people say well it's been done away with well, to those who got the bill of divorce, maybe that's true. Yeah, but, yeah. And the only way we can, those people, the house of Israel, can get back is through the work of the, the standalone Olive Tov, the, yeah. the, yeah. the Messiah. I agree with that. I, so like I, the way that. I like the way that shows up all over the place. Well, yeah, I mean, especially, yeah. that's, we can look in, you know, you can, you can be subjective about that. I understand that. I'm just pointing it out. What caught my attention was the, that you bring it. In this verse, it says the man himself... Yeah. Yeah. Is bringing it. Well, like I say, I don't think it's a case of let me just drop it off at the church door and go on about my business. He's got to be intimately involved. And then the last thing I want to point out here is this verse 37. These then are the regulations for the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the ordination offering, and the fellowship offering, which Yahweh gave Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the Israelites to bring their offerings to Yahweh in the desert of Sinai. In other words, this is the, the conclusion of all the stuff about uh, the offerings. And the reason I say that is by way of introduction. Chapter 8, my little uh, subheading says the ordination of Aaron and his sons. Chapter 8 and 9, uh, 10, 8, 9, and 10 are 
the only chapters in Leviticus that have any action. Okay? So 8, 9, and 10 we'll have fun with, and then the rest of the book is this, is like what we've gone through. So it's amazing what's in here, though. Get Don, your you got some other thoughts? Well, I'm just saying, get your popcorn. It's getting heavy now, right? <laughs> okay, if there's no other comments, I'll close in prayer. Isn't that time? Seven, oh, I'm a half an hour early. There's nothing wrong with me. We're not going to do it. Let's get started with the action. I apologize. This, this getting old stuff is not that much fun. <laughs> okay, chapter 8. Let's see. I know I, I studied for it, so I'm okay with it here. It's a long thing, but we should do it. Let's read through it. We might have to come back and summarize it next week. So... Uh, who wants to read a bunch of it? Somebody want to read some? Who wants to read? Margaret will read some. Does Margaret want to read? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's read, we can read down through verse 13, and then we'll talk about it, and then we'll read some more. Okay. Leviticus chapter 8, And Yahweh said, spoke unto Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil, and a bullock for the sin offering, and two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread. And gather thou all the con congregation together unto the door of the meeting tent of the congregation. And Moses did as Yahweh commanded him. And the assembly was gathered together unto the door of the meeting tent of the congregation. And Moses said unto the congregation, This is the thing which Yahweh commanded to be done. And Moses brought our own and his sons, and washed them with water. And he put upon him the coat, and girded him with a girdle, and clothed him with a robe, and put the ephod upon him. And he girded him with the skillful woven band of the ephod, and bound it upon him therewith. And he put the breastplate upon him. Also he put in the breastplate the Urim and Thummim, and he put the mitre upon his head, and upon the mitre even upon his forefront did he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as Yahweh commanded Moses. And Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein and sanctified them. And he sprinkled thereof upon the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its vessels, both the laver and its base to sanctify them. And he poured of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and put coats upon them and girded them with girdles and put bonnets upon them as Yahweh commanded Moses. Okay. Let's talk about that for a while. Now, this should seem familiar to you because we, uh, for, for two reasons. First of all, um, the... The articles that he's talking about and the different things we went over in great detail whenever they were first shown in Exodus, right? This is when Moses came down from the mountain the first time he had all this stuff um, in his head anyway, and uh, he was able to get uh, the artisans. Does anybody remember who those guys are? The guys that primarily, Be Bezalel was one of them. Uri. Is that one of them? was the other one. Oh. That's right. It's not important, but I like stuff like that. Anyway, are there any questions? About, oh, that's one reason why this is important or why it should be familiar. 
The other thing is, is at the end of Exodus, I think it was Exodus chapter 29, we read about the ordination of Aaron. We read about when Moses set the thing up the first time, and he went through and he did a lot of this sprinkling of the blood and the oil and all that and got it all consecrated. Consecrated meaning set apart for use by God, right? So he did all of that. And so this is, this is the description of what happened in Exodus 29. But just so you know, Numbers chapter 7 and 8 talks about this again. So this ordination of Aaron and the priest and the establishment of the priesthood and its functioning is described three times in the Torah, and this is the middle time. So he's got the, at this point then, he's got uh, Aaron and his sons all uh, dressed properly, and he's anointed them with oil, consecrating them, setting them apart. So somebody want to read from verse 14? Um, why don't we go, but just 14 to the end. That's not, not too bad. And he brought the bull for the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering, and it was slain. And Moshe took the blood and put some on the horns of the slaughter place all around with his finger and cleansed the slaughter place. And he poured the blood at the base of the slaughter place and set it apart to make atonement for it. And he took all the fat that was on the entrails and the appendage on the liver and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moshe burned them on the slaughter place. And the bull and its skin and its flesh and its dung he burned with fire outside the camp as Yahweh had commanded Moshe. And he brought the ram of the ascending offering and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. And it was slain. And Moshe sprinkled the blood on the slaughter place all around. And he cut the ram into pieces. And Moshe burned the head and the pieces and the fat. And he washed the entrails and the legs in water. And Moshe burned the entire ram on the slaughter place. It was an ascending offering for a sweet fragrance, an offering made by fire to Yahweh, Yahweh had commanded Moshe. And he brought the second ram, the ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. And it was slain. And Moshe took some of the blood and put it on the, top, on the tip of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And he brought near the sons of Aaron. And Moshe put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moshe sprinkled the blood on the slaughter place all around, and took the fat and the fat tail, and all the fat that was on the entrails, and the appendage of the, on the liver, and the two kidneys and their fat, and the right thigh. And from the basket of unleavened bread that was before Yahweh, he took one unleavened cake and a cake of bread anointed with oil, and one thin cake, and put them on the fat and on the right thigh, and placed all these in the hand of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and waved them as a wave offering before Yahweh. Moshe then took them from their hands and burned them on the slaughter place as an ascending offering. They were ordinations for a sweet fragrance, 
It was an offering by fire to Yahweh. And Moshe took the breast and waved it, a wave offering before Yahweh. It was Moshe's portion of the ram of ordination as Yahweh had commanded Moshe. And Moshe took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the slaughter place and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments and on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he set apart Aaron, his garments and his sons and the garments of his sons with him. Now Moshe said to Aaron and his sons, cook the flesh at the door of the tent of appointment and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of the ordinations as I have commanded saying, Aaron his, and his sons are to eat it. Then burn the rest of the flesh and the bread with fire. And do not go outside the door of the tent of appointment for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed. For he fills your hands for seven days. Yahweh has commanded to do as he has done this day to make atonement for you. And stay at the door of the tent of appointment day and night for seven days. And you shall guard the duty of Yahweh and not die, for I have been commanded. And Aaron and his sons did all the words that Yahweh had commanded by the hand of Moshe. Thanks. Yeah. Now, we've read some of that before. I don't know if it sounds familiar to you, but some of that was in Exodus chapter 29. Um, so, he got the verses 1 through 13 are him getting everybody all dressed and consecrated. Yep, Joni's got something. But I want to go through these offerings one at a time so that we can talk about what's going on with each one. So I, I don't know if that's what you're going to end up saying, like what's distinct between each one. Like mm -hmm. is there something that's different? I heard that like the difference between in Deuteronomy and when he says the um, commandments again, the first time he says to keep these commandments and the second time he says to protect, protect them. Okay. And so there was just that, the deepening and mm -hmm. he was, the teacher was talking about the Garden of Eden and how um, Adam was to protect mm -hmm. when he was to obey the command to not, you know, eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil that his charge was actually not just to keep that command but to protect it. Yeah. So then of those three times then for this, um, I don't know if that's what you're going to cover. Well, not, not exactly, but you bring up a good point. The um, just Sounds like the word shomer. The guard, guard, protect, to keep, yeah. to hold. The, What is it? Oh, Tzava. I don't know. Well, Tzava. If I understand you right, what you're asking is whether there's a similar kind of a thing between these two. Well, I don't know, but it occurs to me the first example that we read was the telling of the story from the viewpoint of Moses. Okay. This is the telling of the story from the viewpoint of the priests. Okay. The last one, the one in Numbers, is the telling of the story from the viewpoint of the rest of the Israelites. 
And you'll see that real clearly. They all describe the same thing, and, and there may be some differences like you're talking about. It would be fun sometime to take those three passages and put them kind of side by side and see. But yeah. Um, the first offering that was made was what? Starting in verse 14? Yep. The bull. Bullock. The bull, right? And the bull, if you remember, was the biggest, if you will, the most valuable offering. And the bull was offered for two reasons, or for two, let me say, groups of people. Do you remember who? When you offered a bull as a sin offering? One was for this ordination for the priests, okay? That was one. The other one was for the nation. When the Israelites, all the Israelites have sinned, the offering prescribed was a bull. Okay, so it was the, like I say, it was the most valuable offering. Um, it says, here it said, Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. So symbolically uh, transferring the, their sins to the bull. And who, who did the actual um, dispatching and uh, cutting up and offering the bull? Aaron? Well, mine, while I'm... And he slew it. And he slew it. Okay. Mine, mine, my nearly inspired version went ahead and took a leap and said that he was Moses. And I think if you go back in the Exodus version, it'll say that he was Moses. Is that right? Yeah, but I don't know if it's for sure true. So, did you mention Ezekiel earlier today? I did. Well, this verse is quoted. This verse, this... There's a standalone altar, by the way, right before Bullock. But this same verse is mentioned in Ezekiel 43:21, and it also has a standalone altar. It's just quoting that verse from the Torah here. But what was what, what were you referencing in Ezekiel? Uh, I was re referencing uh, what regard was 44:23, where it says, "They, the priests." are to teach my people the difference between holy and okay. common and to show them how to distinguish between clean and unclean. So, okay. Okay. So, that's, tying that to Ezekiel is good because Ezekiel's talking about the, the, new, the new temple, right. the, one, the yet to come temple. So, these things will be done, it would appear, right? Anyway, so, what was the second animal that was offered? The ram. A ram, and yes. And there's a standalone olive top in front of that as well. And what was the purpose of the ram? Your, let's see, somebody's version. It's called the ascending offering. And that's the uh, burnt offering. Ola. Ola, I think, means ascending. Here, I go back and see if I can. So, is that, would that be like what was intended with... Uh, Isaac? Yeah. Yeah. Where they put in the, the ram caught in the thicket? Yep. Good point. Yep. Okay. And then it describes what was offered and how it was offered, which is exactly, uh, I mean, again, we've read that before too. Um, and then what was the third offering? Oh, sorry, Mark. So since you're talking about ram and using this... Uh, analogy of the ram caught in the thicket. In verse 29, when it says, Moshe also took the breast, presented it for a wave offering before Yahuwah. It was Moses' portion of the, the word ram is El, E-L. 
Really? Yeah. <laughs> sure, to cool. So, yeah, Moses' portion of the L of ordination. L. Yeah. That is interesting. Don't know what to think about that. Yeah, it's Aleph Yod Lamed. It's a little different because usually L is Aleph Lamed, but there's a Yod here, but it's still pronounced in the Hebrew, and it means ruler, ram ruler. ruler. Yeah. Okay. And then the other thing I wanted to point out, when you come back down to verse 33, you shall not go outside the doorway of the tent of the meeting for seven days until the day of the period of your ordination. The word ordination and ordain is yemale, and it's from the root male, which is this word in, in uh, Matthew 5, 17, is I didn't come to abolish, I came to fulfill. <laughs> so that's fulfill. Yeah, it's this, uh, that fulfill Greek word is yeah. associated with this Hebrew, Hebrew word, word yeah, that we have here. That's good. Great. So the third animal that was sacrificed was another ram, and it was called the ram of ordination, right? Or the ram of fulfillment. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Now with this ram, uh, you'll notice that uh, Moses did something unusual with the blood from the, the ordination ram, what did he do with it? Mm -hmm. Yep, he put it on the lobe of the right ear, the right thumb, and the big toe on the right foot. We talked about this before. We'll see if I, how you remember it. Can you think of why, the, what the symbolism would be of uh, specifically? Yeah. So. Hearing is the ear, and doing is the, the thumb, and walking is the, is the feet. So, so you'll, you'll hear, he wanted, let's say it was, the priest were to hear from God, to do what God asked, and to walk in God's ways. So that all made real good sense to me. Um, let's see. And then verse 31 said, uh, Moses said to Aaron and his sons, cook the meat at the entrance to the tent of meeting and eat it there with the bread from the basket of ordination offerings as I commanded, saying Aaron and his sons are to eat it. Then burn up the rest of the meat and the bread. Do not leave the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for your ordination will last seven days. John. So... Is there an obvious question here? Yes, there is, but I want you to ask it. <laughs> Leave it to me. That's okay. Uh, I got to take a potty break. <laughs> that's an obvious question. Yeah. I mean, right? That's what I thought of. Yeah, well, that's got to happen. I don't, I bet you, well, I don't know. He's eating a lot of stuff. Stuff, Yeah, he's right? bound to need to go to the bathroom. So I, I should imagine that that's just uh, conveniently omitted. Maybe not. The question I had was, I didn't think you were going to ask that. That was, my mind doesn't run quite that way. But Well, was, did Moses take a potty break for 40 days up on the mountain? Because he wasn't eating, but. Yeah, well, I suppose so. I don't know. I mean, but if you weren't eating, then you, I could see that. You had to drink, though. The question I have is, did they go through this same process on each of those seven days? Oh, I don't know. It doesn't really, it's not clear to me, and it turns out it's, 
there's kind of a controversy about that. Some people believe the whole process was repeated each of those seven days. But that's a lot of, I mean, a bull is a lot of food. They got a lot of meat running around and a lot of, a lot of things going on if they did it. I think maybe once and then staying at the entrance to the tent of meeting the whole time. I mean, seven days, you're not going to just stand there. You're going to sit down and maybe lay down on the cot and take a little nap and whatever. So I should imagine that, you know, going off and going to the bathroom and coming back would be acceptable, but perhaps not, as long as you didn't all go at the same time. I don't know. I'm just making it up. So in uh, verse 33, this version, it says, he fills her hands for seven days. I was wondering what other version says, because I don't he quite uh, get that. He fills their hands? He fills your hands for seven days. Uh, 33, says, do not go outside the door the tent of appointment for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for he fills your hands for seven days. Yeah, mine says, for your ordination will last seven days. Consecrate, set apart. The very last of verse 33. Yeah, the word is, uh, consecrate is, Yemale, et yemale. Okay. Your ordination. Will so, what was the Greek word in the in Mark in the in the? Oh, uh, the Greek word for that you mentioned him for fulfill. I guess that's not this, is it? Okay. So now we have the priests having uh, gone through this seven-day process of ordination. John. So, I mean, I got to imagine the experience of being there for seven days isn't like, oh, I'm bored, I got to take a nap. I mean, you're next to the creator of the universe. There's that. There's, uh, <laughs> there's also plenty of stuff to, being, to be done. You know, they got to keep the fire burning on the altar all the time, and they've, they've got some learning to do. I'm sure they're sitting there probably going over, now, how do you do this again? And, you know, what do you, I, I, you know, I can imagine this, yeah, they're, they're not bored, I'm sure. It's hard to imagine some of this stuff, because, you know, the Bible is so, so compact, it just says the last seven days. So, so is this every time somebody is ordained as a priest, they go through this? Well, I, I would think that uh, you would have an ordination ceremony very similar to this for each one, but this was one ordination uh, ceremony for, for the for, whole bunch of oh, them. Oh, for Aaron and all his sons. Aaron and, and all his sons. Now, as, as time goes on, you know, one's going to die, some yeah. are going to come of age, and so they'll be doing it, I can imagine. You know, so like his son Eleazar, when he had Phineas, then when Phineas became of age, he would go through this ordination process. Yeah, uh -huh. that's my feeling. So, um, I'm just looking here because uh, I'm trying to find, because it, it's, it's, it, they're putting the blood on the ear, the thumb, and the toe. When they're doing the cleansing of the leper over the same number of days, seven days, mm -hmm. they're putting blood on the same three places of Are the they? leper. Yes. Mm -hmm. But on the leper, they're also putting oil after the blood on the three, same three places. 
And I thought they did the same thing for the priest, but I'm, I'm not finding here where the oil is put on. And I thought for mm -hmm. sure it was, but I'm just not seeing it. Well, let me see here. No, um, I don't think it is. I don't think they did the oil on, on the... Huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't see oil and ear, so it's just the blood. What's interesting is you would think that the priest would get the anointing oil on, you know, but for the leper, he's getting, in, verse, in chapter 14, verse 17, he's getting the, uh, uh, the leper's getting the blood on all three places. Then he gets the oil on all three places. That's what I thought that was interesting. But they're both the priest and the leper are going through the same uh, cleansing uh, for seven days. No me. Yeah. Hmm. More mysteries. Yeah, but that says just sprinkled, doesn't it? And sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments and on his son's garments. So it doesn't talk about the ear and the... So, so, don't know. Whenever we get to the leper, we'll kind of look at that and talk about this again. Maybe I'll, we'll have some insight. Uh, forgive me for getting half an hour off, but now I'm a little closer to being right. <laughs> it's closer to 8.30 than it was at 8.01. Huh? So I, I don't have anything else. I, I don't want to start chapter 9 yet. Yeah, so is there any other comments? Any other? Does anybody have any uh, uh, mid-course corrections or things you'd like to be doing differently? Is this meeting people's needs appropriately? Okay. Let me pray, and then next week we'll meet back again. Well, Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for your word. It's challenging, but there's so much here. And the more we dig into it, the more it... Uh, it seems to somehow or another strike a chord within us. And I'd ask that you just help, help my understanding and help all of our understanding that we might um, get a little better idea of, of how this works and, and why you've made these rules for being clean and unclean and, and being close to you. We don't have to know the answer, but uh, it just, just makes everything fit better. But in any case, God, we... Uh, I appreciate the fact that you love us and that you've shared this with us and that you ask us to explore it and learn it and do it. And just help us as we move along this, this path and help us to think of those that are behind us as well. Keep us safe until we meet on, on Shabbat. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And thank all you guys out on the video land. <laughs>